The Secret Church Podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For The Secret Church 19 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC19. This is Secret Church 19, Episode 4. Wisdom literature? All right, here we go. Let's go fast. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Job 1 and 2 teaches about prayer amidst suffering. There's a whole secret church on suffering, so that's why we'll go particularly quick here. But I couldn't not put this in. Like in prayer, we express honest pain from our circumstances. What does Job do as soon as he learns he's lost all of his possessions and every one of his precious children has died? He prays. In prayer, we express humble trust in God's sovereignty. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In prayer, we express true gratitude for God's generosity. God gave, Job prays. In prayer, we look beyond the gift to the giver. In prayer, we realize that even when the gifts are gone, God is still good. Even when the gifts are gone, God is still good. So much here. In prayer, we express unwavering faith in God's righteousness. In all this, in all of Job's praying, Job did not sin with his lips. Job 28 demonstrates a prayer for wisdom. Right in the heart of this book on suffering, we're reminded about the limited wisdom of man. Think about why do we lack wisdom? It's because we lack knowledge. Sometimes we don't have all the facts. We would make wiser decisions if we knew more. We lack perspective. We, always don't, we don't always see how our actions are going to affect this person or that person in that way. If we had seen that, we might have acted differently. And we lack experience. Sometimes we do something foolish because it's new to us. Next time we're in that situation, we do it different. We all have limited wisdom, not God. Consider the unlimited wisdom of God. He has perfect knowledge. He never doesn't have all the facts. He has eternal perspective. He always sees all things rightly, and he has infinite experience. He is timeless. So when we pray, particularly amidst suffering, we must always remember we have limited knowledge, perspective, and experience, but God does not. And as a result, we can trust his wisdom at all times and in all circumstances. Job 3 through 7 illustrates praying in light of our inevitable questions over and over again. You look at these questions. In prayer, we ask God, why? What have I done? We ask God, where is this going? In prayer, we ask God, how long will this last? Like, this is what we do in prayer. We honestly ask questions. As we pray amidst all our questions, we eventually realize that our greatest need is not an explanation from God, though. Our greatest need is ultimately an encounter with God. Listen to these words from a hero in the faith, Johnny Exentata, quadriplegic, paralyzed from the shoulders down after an accident when she was 18 years old. She writes with Steve Estes, God, like a father, doesn't just give advice, he gives himself. He becomes the husband to the grieving widow. He becomes the comfort of the barren woman. He becomes the father of the orphan. He becomes the bridegroom to the single person. He's the healer to the sick. He is the wonderful counselor to the confused and depressed. This leads to Job 36 through 42, praying in light of our greatest need. That's Job's conclusion at the end of chapter, 40 chapters of asking questions. He says, I know you can do all things. No purpose of you can be thwarted. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes have seen you. Our greatest need is not an answer for the why of suffering. Our greatest need is ultimately a glimpse of the one who reigns over suffering. And this is what Job receives, a glimpse of the God who is our creator, our sustainer, our savior, our hope, our friend. He is with us through suffering. God is with us through suffering. And we know we can trust in him because he will bring an end to suffering. Job 19, I know that my Redeemer lives. At the last, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. My eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. This is a great quote. We won't read it now, but from George Mueller, this prayer warrior who said this when he had prayed for his wife's health, yet she died. And Mueller wrote those words. It's, it's powerful. So 
Even when our prayers are not answered in the way we would prefer, even when we have questions that are not answered in the way we would like, we can trust that our God is good and that even death is not the end because God restores to life. God, we praise you for restoring to life. We praise you that suffering is not the end of the story, that with you, life is the end of the story forever. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, moving into the Psalms. So what I've done here is group the Psalms. Oh, all right, we're gonna go. All right, here we go. I've grouped these into different categories, and I have a quote here at the top from Graham Goldsworthy. He wrote a helpful book called Prayer and the Knowledge of God. I leaned on that book and identifying these categories, so just as a reference. Goldsworthy wrote, for any Christian for whom prayer is becoming formal and stereotyped, the Psalms provide a rich source of inspiration. It's true that to read the Psalms on your knees, as it were, can be a great boost to one's prayer experience. I believe that's true. Because many of these Psalms are actually prayers in ways that are unique in Scripture. So this first category, so to speak, includes prayers of grievance over suffering, false accusations, or persecution. You see examples there. Prayer wrestles with the goodness, presence, and power of God in a world of evil, sin, and suffering. Psalmists are often asking the question, why? How long? Yet even amidst those questions, prayer maintains a confidence in God's character and God's compassion amidst suffering. Psalm 27 is an excellent example of that. You just read that Psalm, you think about what David saw. He saw devastation, desertion, danger. So how did he pray? Well, just see, feel what he prayed, the shock of his prayer. Amidst, surrounded by devastation, one thing I've asked, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. David doesn't ask first for deliverance. David asks first for God. Knowing the benefits of his his request, that God is absolutely sovereign and incomparably beautiful, which leads to the relevance of his, his example for us. What is our one thing that we seek? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, do we find God useful for our circumstances or do we find him glorious regardless of circumstances? That's a question we all need to ask. Useful or glorious? What David concluded is clear. Prayerful confidence is based in passionate focus on God amidst our pain and affliction. So God, we pray for passionate focus on you, contentment in you, desire for you, even amidst pain and affliction. Then Psalms and prayers expressing a sense of alienation from God, Psalm 22, which Jesus prayed on the cross, prayer includes cries of spiritual anguish. Prayer includes cries of relational alienation from God, from others. Prayer includes cries of physical agony. And in prayers like this, we learn that expressing our sorrow in prayer to God opens the door for experiencing God's love for us. Psalm 13, powerful. Look at this quote from John Perkins. The laments of Scripture do more than just voice our pain. The Psalms of lament stand alone as theology. They teach us about our God and how to worship Him. They transform us. It's exactly what happens to the psalmist in Psalm 13. He's transformed as he laments in prayer before God. That leads to psalms and prayers for deliverance from suffering and enemies, where we learn that prayer honestly faces fear, frustration, danger, and depression. These are real experiences for the psalmist. If you've ever faced fear, frustration, danger, or depression, you will find familiar ground in the psalms. Psalm 31, so powerful. Prayer hopefully trusts in salvation from all these things and more. In the face of fear and danger, we pray with urgency. In the face of... Frustration and depression, we pray with expectancy that God will answer. Psalm 71, a powerful picture of that. Then prayers exalting God for his faithfulness, compassion, and love. Our relationship with God in prayer should look like a consuming addiction in our lives, not a convenient addition to our lives. Psalm 63, oh God, you are my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Prayer to God is designed not to be our duty, but to be our delight. Prayer to God is designed to be our delight. Prayer leads us to be satisfied in God like we've seen over and over, over and above his gifts. And you keep going in that Psalm, Psalm 63, you see how prayer transforms our experiences in the wilderness into experiences in worship. 
Different category here, prayers for, of and for the king, where we learn about praying for the righteousness of the king's rule, praying for the spread of the king's dominion, praying ultimately for the spread of God's justice through the king's leadership, praying for blessing in the king's life, praying ultimately for the fame of God's name. Keep in mind, these are unique prayers for Israel's king in a unique time in redemptive history. And as we read these prayers in the Psalms, we find their fulfillment in the perfect king who came to save us from our sin and rule us with his righteousness. His name is Jesus. Then number 56, expressing trust and confidence in God I love Psalm 56 here. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. I love that. In prayer, we put our trust in the character of God. We trust in his power. We trust in his mercy. And in prayer, we lift our hearts to the word of God. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. You catch that. Put the first and last part together. When I'm afraid, I will not be afraid. How do you go from fear to no fear? In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. His word is supreme, sure, and sufficient. Psalm 23, a great example of prayer, trust, and confidence in God. In fact, let's read this one together. Let's read it all out together. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Oh, these psalms, psalms of confess, prayers of confession before God, as we've seen in other places in Scripture, in prayer we acknowledge the seriousness of sin, the reality that Psalm 51 so helpful here. Sin is offensive. Sin defies God, destroys man. Sin is comprehensive and pervasive. So in view of our sin in prayer, we appeal to the grace of God, knowing that his cleansing is costly. Cleanse, purge me with hyssop. That hyssop takes us back to the sacrifice of the lamb in Exodus 12. Picture of sacrifice in Hebrews 9. His cleansing is costly and his forgiveness is free. God's forgiveness is free. God ultimately answers our prayers for forgiveness in the cleansing that comes through Christ. So don't miss this in prayer. Confession is the connection between sin seriousness and God's grace. Confession requires honesty and humility before God. And through prayer, through prayers of confession, restoration becomes a reality. God recreates our heart, reestablishes our joy, so we walk with him, we witness to him, and we worship him. Three more categories of Psalms. General praise to God, so many examples of this. In prayer, we praise God for who he is, praise God for what he has done, Psalm 150. Then Psalms that are prayers of remembrance, remembering God's giving of the law, God's parting of the Red Sea, God's guidance through the wilderness, remembering God's provision of food and water, judgment against sin, mercy towards sinners, the signs and wonders in Egypt, the victories of enemy in the promised land, God's discipline of his people, God's anointing the king. The point is, prayer is an opportunity to remember, recall, and retell the works of God. I don't think this is something we do well. I've been thinking about this a lot recently, reading through the Old Testament. Like, take time to look back and remember, recall, retell, even in prayer, what God has done, not just in our lives, but in the history of his people. God, help us not to forget. Help us to remember all you've done in the history of your people and in our lives. Then prayers, asking for, rejoicing in the salvation and judgment of God. Uh, you just read in Psalm 82, in light of injustice and evil in the world, oppression, corruption, 
racism, trafficking. We pray to the sovereign king over all, the good judge of all, and the merciful savior for all. We pray for God's justice to reign, God's kingdom to come, and God's salvation to spread. The Bidi Anyabwile here in the city said, justice comes most surely by falling on our knees with our heads bowed. When God's justice comes, it will be perfect, proportionate, and balanced. And then Psalm 67, we pray for God's blessing on his people for the praise, sake of his praise among all peoples. We pray to the God who saves the needy, the God who judges the peoples, God who guides the nations, for God's ways to be known among all peoples, God's salvation to be enjoyed by all peoples, and God's name to be feared by all peoples. We pray with confidence that God will accomplish his purpose by spreading his praise among all peoples. Indeed, O oh God, cause your justice to reign, your kingdom to come, your salvation to spread. Be gracious to us, bless us, cause your face to shine upon us so that your ways may be known on earth and your saving power known among all nations, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. There's the Psalms. All right, let's close it out with Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Proverbs, acceptable prayer. The prayers of the righteous are acceptable to God. The prayers of the disobedient are abhorrent to God. There's Proverbs. Ecclesiastes, our approach to prayer. As we pray, it's often good to pause in heartfelt, thoughtful reverence and to prioritize listening over speaking. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And then Song of Solomon. What in the world is Song of Solomon teaches about prayer? Well, so count me among those who believe this book is about marital love as God has designed it to be between a man and a woman, romance, joy, all that involves. But remember, marriage and marital love is designed by God to depict the love of Christ for the church. So this book wonderfully portrays romantic love and marriage. And in this way, this book ultimately points to God's design for marriage to show Christ's love for the church and the church's love for Christ. And in this way, this book powerfully reminds us that we are created for a relationship with God filled with love. And this is the heart of prayer. The heart of prayer is a relationship with God marked by love. We pray because we love God and he loves us. We converse with God because we want to grow in our love relationship with God. So God, may it be so. I pray this for every single person in the sound of my voice. I pray that they would know your love for them. They would experience your love for them in prayer. And you would draw all of us into deeper love for you through prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at Radical.net.